was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Notice what happens here. Jesus asked his disciples two questions. They ignore that question, or both of those questions, and then they ask Jesus a question, and yet before he can even answer it, they make this proclamation, exclamation, statement of exasperation. Even the winds and the waves obey him. I get that they didn't want to answer his questions. It's not that they were entirely complicated questions. It's just that their answers would have been, oh, just a little bit embarrassing. Don't you believe is what he asked. In chapter 1, he drove out a spirit and then later on healed many. In chapter 2, he brought down the roof by healing a paralyzed man who was brought down from the roof. In chapter 3, he restored a man's shriveled hand and totally outsmarted all the teachers of the law. In chapter 4, he showed his power by teaching the crowds and by, as we just read, calming the storm. So the questions, why are you so afraid and do you still have no faith, are searing questions that none of them wanted to answer. Certainly not allowed and certainly not in the presence of Jesus. Now, before we embark on chapter 5, I have three quick observations about those closing verses in chapter 4. Notice that Jesus wasn't demanding that they display some Abraham-like faith. He wasn't saying, you should have a ton of faith, you should have a mountain of faith. He was just saying, do you still have no faith. I think it's interesting how so often we assume that seeing a miracle would change everything. But we notice that throughout the New Testament, we learn that miracles sometimes they change nothing. Multitudes walk away from a fish and loaves buffet without being touched or changed. Disciples cower in a boat in indicting Jesus as not caring. And Pharisees see a lame man walk and only care that their Sabbath law addendum was broken when a guy picks up his mat. My second observation is this. Jesus seemed to ignore their question. And to that I can only say how rude of him. He didn't answer their question. Remember, they who is this? And Jesus doesn't say. The chapter may be over, but the story isn't. That big number five 
between those two sections might lead you to believe that there is this clear between these stories. That the question goes unanswered and that somehow at the end of four and the start of five has nothing to do with one another. Well, if you believe that, I believe that, that you would be wrong. In fact, listen to this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Notice how the story picks up in chapter 5 where it left off in 4. They were still in the boat. They were still on the sea. Jesus was now coming up on shore. One thing that is also interesting is that Mark uses one of his favorite words in verse 2 of Mark 5. And why it doesn't end up in the NIV is a head-scratcher to me. But in, in the Greek, you look, Mark uses this word he loves so much immediately. Because Mark, as we've talked about in class, he loves to remind people that Jesus was a man of action and the gospel is a story of urgency. And so over and over again, as he's writing to his readers, he says immediately or at once, he wants people to know that, that Jesus is always allowing things to happen. He's always causing things to happen. And so the, the end of four is not the end of the story at all. And there is a question that is hanging, and Jesus was intentional about not answering that question. Let's pick up in verse 3. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one... No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stone. You could make a 10-week series on those verses right there about just how crazy this guy was. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about demon possession, but not a whole lot. But you just have to think that this guy is absolutely crazy. He's been bound up before he breaks the chains. Right? No one can subdue him. Night and day, he's screaming out in the graveyard. Right? This is not a place for good Jewish people to hang out. This is not a good place for Jesus to show up with his disciples if you're a Jew. And yet here we have, once again, Jesus showing up in a place where any other Jew didn't belong. You know, these three verses bring up so many questions. And remember, Jesus wasn't even courteous enough to answer the question that was asked at the end of chapter 4. Well, if you're expecting a bunch of answers about demon possession, honestly... I don't have them. I don't know exactly what demon possession was back then, and I certainly can't tell you how it applies today. But we do know this. We do know that demon possession was real. This particular story is shared in, in some form or fashion in Matthew 8, 
here in Mark 5 and also in Luke chapter 8. And so it is covered in there. The Gospels talk about it. I believe that it is true. And someday we will talk a little bit more about it. What we do know about demon possession is it's exciting and it's riveting and it's scary. And for some, it's an excuse, it's an excuse to live a life of immorality, claiming that the devil made me do it. We do know this. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 when he's addressing the church, he says, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Now some will suggest that, that Paul is saying that at the cross, Jesus put an end to the demon possession that we read about in the, the New Testament. Others suggest that no, that means something completely different. What it exactly means is a question that we're going to have to ponder for another day. So that gets me off the hook because I want to keep going on in Mark chapter 5. When Jesus saw, excuse me, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran. Now, in a second, we're going to get the direction to where he's going. But I want you to think about this for just a second. Jesus has stepped off the boat. He's on the shore. There's a screaming guy, the bleeding guy, the crazy guy. Oh, and by the way, Luke lets us know he's the next guy. He doesn't even have He's cut, he cuts himself. He, he starts running. Now I want you to, where do you, what direction do you think he's going? I mean, if you didn't know anything about this story, and Jesus steps off the boat, a guy who can't be subdued, who breaks chains, who cuts himself, he screams out, he yells, he lives in a graveyard. And he starts to run when Jesus gets off the boat, my question to you is, if you didn't know the story, which direction? You think he would come right towards Jesus. And what do you expect? If you don't know anything about Jesus, if you see a carpenter step off of a boat that has just been in some pretty wild weather, he gets off, everybody else starts to pile off after him, and this crazy guy who has superhuman strength, no sense and no clothes, starts running towards him. What's going to happen next? You don't know Jesus. What happens next? He runs to him. And what's going to happen when he gets to Jesus? Did I hear a tackle? You, like, like you almost assume that there should be a fight that's about to happen. I'm thinking this is a linebacker. I mean, I'm thinking this guy, he's coming at, like if I'm, if I'm the, we don't know, I really wish we had a little more information of this. Because if I'm a disciple and I step off that boat, the boat that I just nearly died on, and I step off the boat, the first thing I want to do is kiss the ground. But before my lips touch the sand, I look up and I see this wild, screaming, crazy, naked guy coming at me. And I have a decision to make. Do I get back in that boat again and start rowing back out thinking, you know what, maybe the weather isn't that bad? 
sprawl. Maybe I'll take the wind and the waves to this guy. I suspect that they, they were kind of stuck. And one of the reasons why is Jesus has just challenged their faith. He said, do you still have no faith? And so that elicits some response. They have to be thinking, yeah, I really should believe in this guy. They didn't believe him. They were in the boat. And now they're forced again. Do I trust this guy when there's a crazy man, a chain-breaking, crazy, insane guy running towards me? This is the really big question. This is the question that Jesus didn't answer. Jesus didn't forget. He didn't neglect. He wasn't being rude, but he wasn't ready to answer that question. Who is this man? But the followers of Jesus had to decide, are we going to follow Jesus? Literally. Are we going to leave the boat and follow him as he gets into a fight that he might not win? See, that's the question that Mark chapter 5 begs. Who is this man? When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran towards Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that, but we know that. Because we know that in just a second, he runs and fell on his knees in front of him. The guy who can't be subdued by anyone. The guy who has been chained hand and foot and has broken those chains. The one who is possessed by many demons. The one who has this amazing strength and this crazy look in his eyes falls down at the feet of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice. I so badly wanted to, to shout at the top of my voice, but I, I just didn't want you guys to go crazy and lose it in here. So you're just going to have to imagine the shouting. What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. And you get it? It's right there. Jesus asked the audience. Jesus phoned a friend. The question has now been answered. The question in the end of four was what? Who is this man? The disciples who saw the paralyzed man get up. The disciples who witnessed the shriveled hand be restored. The disciples who watched Jesus listen to him teach with authority and power. They can't answer the question. And Jesus chooses not to. Instead, he's going to let somebody else do it. He's going to give an opportunity for somebody else to say who Jesus 
is. And this crazy, demon-possessed man has this moment of clarity. When everybody else says, I don't really know who Jesus is, this man says it without question, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. And if you're not careful, you miss it. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he didn't answer the disciples in the boat. But he left that question hanging for them and for us as well. The crazy guy's going to continue in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had come, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you impure spirit. There it is. Jesus is acknowledged as the son of the Most High God, from a guy who, needless to say, didn't really have it all together. And that surprises me a little bit. It surprises me a lot, to be honest. I think that there are certain people who should get to proclaim Jesus as Lord. I mean, they're the ones that like... Like the disciples, like they've been there long enough. They can say, hey, I can tell you I've been there, I've seen it, I've witnessed this. I know who this is. But here they are on the boat on a calm sea after the wind and waves have stopped because Jesus says, hey, stop that. I'm a parent. I've said that to my kids a million times and they don't listen to me. He says to the wind and the waves, be still, and they do it. And the people around him say, I wonder who this guy is. I would love for them, as Matthew's going to say later on, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for, but not here. Instead, God chooses someone who does not have it all together to answer the question of who Jesus is. You see, I think for a lot of us, we... We, we have a good idea of who Jesus is. We think we know who we, he is, but we're fearful of answering that question. Because if we talk about who Jesus is and how he changed lives, somebody might look at us and say, well, your, your life has not changed. It's not altogether, you know. You've, you've been divorced or, you know, I caught you lying or you're this person or that person. But Jesus lets a person who has basically zero credibility to speak out on who he is. It just seems odd that that person who has never met Jesus, he didn't witness the lame man being healed or a shriveled hand being restored, can answer the question that the disciples can't. There's so much left to this story. But for the sake of time and really for rhetorical purposes, I just want to stop here. I don't want you to lose this thought. This is where I want to leave you this morning. This very simple question. Who is this man? Not, not historically. 
Not, well, you know, he, he was a, a Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000. No, that's not what I'm looking for. When I say who is this man, I'm not talking about biblically. I don't want you to recite, well, this is what the Bible says. Not factually, okay? I'm asking this question, but I'm not asking your parents this question. Unless they're in the room. That's, of course I am. I'm not asking asking this question to your preacher. I'm not addressing your spouse. This question is for, for each one of you individually. Every one of you, this is my question to you. This is Jesus' question to you. This is the question that the disciples asked, and it's a question that you, you, I'm doing it, you have to answer. This is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Who is Jesus? I'm looking at each one of you and asking this question. Who is this man? Who is he to you personally? Is he the miracle worker? Is he the the chain breaker? Is he the Sunday morning topic of conversation? Does this guy go outside of these walls? Does he elicit more of your time than the 9 to 10 a.m. slot once a week? Can he save you? Has he healed you? Will you follow him? This is the most single important question you will ever have to answer. And you can't let the answer of your parent or your spouse or your preacher or your Bible school teacher, that's not your answer, that's their answer. What is your answer? Who is he? Is he more than just a good teacher? Is he really the one who has changed your life? Is he the one who is still transforming your life today? This will come across maybe as judgmental, possibly offensive. But I'll say this. If Jesus isn't transforming your life, then I think you don't have a good understanding of who Jesus really is. He changes the way you live life. He changes the way that you treat your spouse. He changes the way that you deal with people in business. He changes the way that you work and the way that you love, the way that you speak. He changes the way that you post on social media. He changes everything. And if you can walk away on a Sunday morning and say, okay, what are we doing for lunch? And here's what's going on in my life. And here's, and Jesus is never a part of that. Then you haven't answered the question of who Jesus is. You're still stuck on that boat. 
people need to hear that answer. They need to hear it from crazy, crazy, flesh-cutting, naked people running around in a graveyard. And they need to hear it from you. But before you can really talk about how Jesus, who Jesus is, you have to answer the question yourself. And so this is where we end. In a second, we're going to stand up. We're going to sing a song of invitation like we always do. And we're going to invite you to come forward, to share your prayers, to confess sins, to commit to to rededicating your life, to changing your life through the waters of baptism. But don't walk away from this without asking, who is this man? Don't think we'll do it in another chapter. Think about it today and let it change the way you live your life forever and ever. Who is this man? Please join me this morning as we stand and sing.